2: Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And this week, our special topic is on space food. What do they eat when NASA casts astronauts into orbit and beyond? And to help me digest topic, I've got with me a comedian, Eugene Merman. Eugene, this is not your first time on Star Trek no, Radio. Welcome the, back. this is the
0: second time, if second we're counting, th- if we're using the <laughs> traditional numeric system that I've base become 10. used to. Yes. Base 10.
2: Otherwise, it would be one zero if it were base exactly. 2. If In base
0: be- 7, what would how, what's visit would this be of mine? It would be 2. Yeah. Yeah, just testing you.
2: For the geeks out there. You you passed. (laughs) Really up until probably four or three, anyway. So we're talking about space food. How do you prepare it? How do you package it? How do you eat it? And I don't know if you knew, the earliest flights, like the, the Mercury flights, mm-hmm. they just went up in orbit for, you know, an hour and a half, a couple of hours, and came back down. So no one was thinking space food. They didn't but, bring, like, anything? No, no. Well, they might have had some reserves in case they landed somewhere unpleasant on Earth and they had to stay alive for, mm. before GPS would ever find them. Yeah. <laughs> this is way before any Like actual- Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> so they, so so back then, yeah, you know, they would have sort of their reserves for if they landed in a, in an unseemly place. But otherwise, in space, no. In fact, they didn't even have really ways to go to the bathroom. They would just you you go in orbit, a couple of orbits, an orbit is an hour and a half. You're up there for three hours, four and a half hours, and so. It's really just to see if you could survive the trip. It was so,
0: so technology has advanced so much that we can send bathrooms into space. Yes, is that what you're saying? That's
2: <laughs> yes, exactly what I'm saying. Or means of of excreting in space. Yes, and and if what goes with that is of course the ingestion of food, mm. and so it required uh, longer duration trips in space. So the next program after Mercury was Gemini, where they would sent. They went from one astronaut to two astronauts. Gemini, the twins. As is, isn't that clever? It's very clever, yes. Okay. <laughs> I,
0: I wish I could send a congratulations back in time.
2: So Gemini, Apollo, follow Gemini, and that was the embodiment of the moon landings. Mm-hmm. Apollo ended, but we still were going into space. We had Skylab, which was our first sort of space station. Mir, the Russian space station. Mm-hmm. Mir is Russian for peace. Yes, I know. And you knew that. And
0: world. Oh, because you are Russian, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, that's the reason. So I even know the other meaning of the word. Uh,
2: it means world? Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: There you go. So, I'm glad to come and why help they have
2: a, learn. Why didn't they have a second word for it?
0: With uh, the same way that it's a, I think it's a homonym.
2: I, I, I forgot what all those words mean. Okay, <laughs> I'll take it for you. it's a homonym. All right, a samonym. That's yes, a sound alike. See, and so then we, of course, the International Space Station, where people are up there for not only day, not uh, at least days, but in some cases weeks, mm-hmm. months, and in a few cases where Russians who have the record, they're up there for more than a year, and so. I don't feel I interviewed Dr. Charles Borland mm-hmm. and he's a NASA consultant who's been developing food and food packages for space missions for 30 years. He goes way back and he's co-authored the book The Astronaut's Cookbook: Tales, Recipes and More. And he visited me in my office here in New York City and I want to share some of that interview with you. So let's check out what he has to say about space. You've been feeding astronauts from the beginning.
3: Well, it was Apollo 12 when I first came to work.
2: Okay, so they'd already
3: landed on the moon by then. Yeah. Okay, so you're a newcomer then.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so tell me how the food has changed.
3: Well, we found out in late Apollo that we could eat with open utensils in space, which was a major change. Oh, instead of sucking food out of packs. Sucking it out of a package, and then we also found out that we needed to heat food, and we started heating it on Skylab.
2: So Skylab came after Apollo, so that would have been like early 70s? Right. And so you didn't trust astronauts with a fork or a spoon in the early days? What's the problem?
3: Well, I thought the problem was that it would interfere with the equipment if it had spills. But we found out that if it's wet, and surface tension will keep it on a utensil so you can eat most things. Oh, so what
2: you're saying is that if you're going to have open food as opposed to food squeezed out of a pack, that food would have to be a little bit sticky. Yeah,
3: it has to be wet.
2: Wet, so that it stays on your utensil.
3: Right. If you open a package of peanuts, it's all going to float away. And then the peanuts in places you don't want it to be. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No loose
2: food in zero G, period. That's what that is, Eugene. And you know, food is packaged in a variety of ways. There's so much we take for granted on Earth that when you're eating it, you kind of expect gravity to bring it back to your plate. Yes. As you you tell kids, eat over your plate, eat over your plate. In space, there is no such commandment. Mm -hmm. Because... (laughs) The food, yeah, the food floats in front of your face. If it falls out of your mouth, would people just
0: keep it floating in front of them and pick at it?
2: Well, so you can do that with M and M's and other things.
0: Ribs, (laughs) floaty ribs and floating
2: soup. Yeah, but see, M and M's have clean, hard surfaces on them, so Uh that they can actually careen off of uh, sensitive equipment. Uh Ribs would have a different relationship. Oh, I meant dry rub. Sorry. Saint Louis dry rub. Exactly. Oh, okay, that, that I would thought work. that was
0: assumed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, it's packaged in many ways and when they eat, they actually they'll strap the tray to their lap. Mm-hmm. And they can be what we would think of as upside down, but it won't matter. The food is attached to the plates and the plates are attached to the tray. The tray and is it's attached to them.
0: Surface tension that keeps the food on the tray. Yeah, exactly.
2: It- well, no, well, right. So, they try to eat foods that are wet mm-hmm. and we'll learn more What's the
0: driest wet food could like could it be like like chicken or like would it be a curry like how The
2: driest wet food Like meaning is it That's all liquidy? That's a crazy liquidy? question. Sorry. No no so not so it just has to be able to want to attach to itself. So it has
0: to be full of desire. <laughs> this is the weird. <laughs> it just
2: has to prefer to be attached. It has to if it sees so haven't you seen two drops of water very close to each other on the table and if oh, you yeah. connect them a little bit what do they do? It's
0: my favorite thing, make a pile of water.
2: They <laughs> two drops next to each other. You bring them close enough. Are writing a poem? And they touch and they kiss each other. Then both puddles merge into one. It's a beautiful thing. Try it at home one day.
0: I will. I can't (laughs) can't can't wait. wait. (laughs) And the same thing is true then about chicken tikka masala, you're saying.
2: Uh, Yeah. I don't know that food. Okay, yes. (laughs) So on the International Space Station, when they rehydrate food, they have special rehydrating machines. They can Mm -hmm. rehydrate it with cold water or hot water to reconstitute the food in order to turn it into something that they would recognize or love. And so uh, Charles Borland, like I said, who was a food scientist in the service of NASA, I spoke with him about what it is to develop food for zero g and Mm -hmm. whether what he has to do differently than what would otherwise happen on earth's surface let's see what he tells us have you done the zero g plane yes have you done it while eating yes
3: did you barf (laughs)
4: yes
3: (laughs) yes to all all of the above the first time i barfed about the second parabola and then i took drugs from then on i could last for about 30 parabolas without.
2: 30 parabolas. So the parabola is, is the trajectory of the plane. It's a loop that goes right. up, and f- as it falls back to Earth, you're yeah. weightless, basically. And they to do about 40 of them. So. 40 in one trip. Right. Now, if you're weightless, so too would be your vomit. So that would not be pleasant for other people, I wouldn't think.
3: It's not even pleasant for you. I I found out the first time you don't vomit in zero G, you hold it. Oh, you hold it? I don't even know what that means to hold it. I
2: don't know if you're biophysically capable of holding vomit. So you put your money where your mouth was. You're designing food. You ate it in zero G. You're testing to see what effect it would have on you. That's
3: admirable. Basically, we're testing the packages to see if you could open it and if you could eat from it with utensils.
2: Right, so if you're trying to rip it open and it flies out of your hand and yeah. then it scatters everywhere. Yeah,
3: for example, on Skylab, we had a big can, and it's a pop-off lid. You pull the lid off, you open that in zero-g, half the contents come out with the lid. <laughs> That's bad.
2: Bad. <laughs> <laughs> the challenges of zero-g eating, Eugene. <laughs> Yeah, wait, so the plane, w- w- it falls? Yeah, so yeah, basically, that's correct. So the plane goes up, and it takes a trajectory that is effectively free fall mm-hmm. towards
0: Earth. How long does that last? How Not- long do you have to eat your soup?
2: Yeah, so if you want to eat your soup in zero-G, you've got about 20 seconds to do so. In fact, for scenes in the movie Apollo 13, yeah. they want it to be authentic, yeah. so they were all actual zero-G. So they have to staple together these 20-second filmed intervals uh, to make it look like they were continuously in space. So
0: was he saying that he falls 30 times testing foods yes. at 20 seconds Yes, and in fact, on drugs. That's what he, he <laughs> well, added.
2: Uh, dr- Drugs to prevent him from throwing oh,
0: up. Oh, not like PCP to feel invincible?
2: <laughs> I don't know what other drugs he might have taken, but he's just trying to not throw up. I see. You know, what we really need in this conversation is an actual chef. Not who who
0: knows know. what it's like to fall from space eating food?
2: <laughs> or at least knows how to make food. So we have with us, live in the studio, we have Brian Ray. Brian Ray has competed in nearly twenty episodes of The Iron Chef. If you know the show, you know how how challenging that is. Yeah, and you're, it's on the spot. You, you don't know what you're going to have to make beforehand, and they reveal it, and there you go, and it tests your creativity, your your panache. Yeah. I all- would
0: be crushed by the stress of Kitchen Stadium. <laughs> and I didn't have
5: to take <laughs> drugs to do it.
2: There he is. Welcome <laughs> to Star Talk Radio, Brian Ray. Brian. So you right now you you're a co-executive chef at Budicon. Correct. Restaurant in New York City. Yes. Yep. Features. Let me guess. Asian cuisine. Yes, Modern Asian cuisine. Budokan. Features, yeah,
5: Chinese primarily. This
2: sounds like one of the the evil enemies in Star Trek. This is <laughs>
5: Budokan. A, a Budokan is. Uh, it does. It sounds like a, an angry monster. Um, uh, Budokan is a theater in Japan. And, um, or oh, it of very that. like theatrical. Gosh, how uh, is your Germany.
0: food particularly theatrical or histrionic? <laughs> I think so. Should I say? <laughs> yeah.
2: So I, one of the reasons why we love having you on the show because you're not only an expert chef who's competed, but not only that, your father was an electrical engineer for NASA. Yeah. How uh, often do I get a chef with a, <laughs> with, with genetic links to NASA engineer?
5: Right. I know we're all thugs normally, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but at your age, you were probably like a little little tot at the time he was doing this.
5: Yeah. Um, what
2: do you remember that he did for NASA?
5: The stories that he told us, um, he worked for Grumman. He did the test. He tested the uh, LEM. Oh, so the lunar excursion module. So Grumman, right
2: on Long Island here. This is where they built the the module. Yes. So this is what landed on the moon. Yep. Yeah. My yep. brother
5: Eric was born at the time. Is that right? Okay. And then um, he this would also, be your older brother. Correct. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. Yeah, much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also helped with the Saturn V booster rocket. He did, helped with the uh, stage one.
2: Stage one. That's like the first one.
5: Yeah, Sounds yeah. like it, right? <laughs>
0: Sounds like you know about as much as me about
5: the stage one
2: rocket meal. <laughs> right. So that's great. So so you've also worked as a sous chef at Mesa Grill in Las Vegas and in New York. I ate at Mesa Grill. Beautiful place. Cool. I, I, I don't know if you were there while I was there, but the food was really
5: good. Well, if it was really good, then I was there.
2: <laughs> so I'm wondering, if space tourism is on the horizon... <laughs> then somebody is going to want to bring a chef with him one day absolutely because this astronaut food thing is not going to fly literally or figuratively so if you're one of these chefs can you what what might you envision for a restaurant in orbit
5: i mean like space tourism, you'd be there for a long exactly. time. Exactly, every vacation. Everybody's paying a fortune just to go into space. Even for twenty million dollars. So I mean, what would you pay to go to like a gourmet hot restaurant? You know, great cocktails, great cocktail servers. Like a lot probably less 20 than twenty million in two thousand. <laughs> you know, uh, NASA should be run by restaurateurs. If it was, they'd probably already have a. Casino in space.
2: Oh, so you're saying it's got the wrong people with the visions. Exactly. You need hungry people with visions to to take us into space. Because in in zero-G, your cooking would be really different, I would think, right? I mean, food preparation would be different. And I'm thinking, what's the big challenge when you make a souffle? Like, if you peek at it by opening the oven, what happens?
5: Well, of course, it's going to deflate.
2: It's going to deflate. And when it deflates, it collapses. It's ruined. Under its own weight. So I, if so if you're if you're a cook a souffle in space, there is no collapsing under its own weight because it's weightless. weightless so obviously.
0: it would be easy to make souffles in space. You so could, that's
2: one food we got. What else? <laughs> Go down the list. Uh, okay, how about the ribs? Can we make ribs for this? Can, yeah, absolutely. Eugene uh, has ribs on the brain. Yeah, slow and low. So <laughs> yeah. So, one of the problems is, you know, I don't know if you'd want to cook the ribs in space because if you do it right, you would smoke it for 36 hours. Yeah, how to smoke and work? Where in does space. the smoke go? Yeah. You know, that would look odd. See, do spaces- spaceships not have chimneys? Yeah, you can't vent. <laughs> Isn't there venting? <laughs> no, what they do is they have filters and you refilter. You re- in fact, they filter all. You know, it's it's quite efficient up there because there's you can't stop at the quick mart and swap out your food. Plus, your garbage there's not a garbage yeah. disposal. Can't and, crack a window. Yeah, so you know that's this 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 is what'll challenge us when we come back. What I want to do is talk more about how you cook food in space, how you drink in space, and I'll get some culinary advice from Chef Ray. All that after the break. Neil deGrasse Tyson, and we're talking about space food today. A couple of things. A lot, I imagine a, a lot would be different. Us, tell us what unique things you do in the kitchen, and I'll, let me react to what might have to happen to that in space. Sure. We, we, we already settled the souffle thing. Souffles don't fall. You can be an awful souffle maker, and it'll stay puffy. What else you got going in the kitchen?
5: But I mean, like, how do you deal with open flame? Like, there's a lot of things where, like, a quick blowtorch or, you know, you need to have that.
2: Yeah, open flame doesn't work well in a closed capsule, right? Sure. And seasoning, too. Seasoning? Yeah. Oh, so here's the thing. Your seasoning would have to be liquid so that it can stick. The food has to be—it has to like itself, right? If you start shaking a salt and pepper shaker, it all goes into the air around you.
5: So if you had a nice crispy fried chicken, you're going to have to spray it with—
2: Spray it with a liquid, salty, peppery thingy. So you'd have to turn all of your spices into liquids. Wow. That shouldn't be that hard, right? Sure. That's what else is a sauce, but, but yeah. spices. You're describing liquefies. sauce. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, but what is
0: the word for these liquid spices? It is too bad we don't have one on Earth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they have one on Mars. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, other things. I'm told in Japan there's some tradition where they eat food off of a naked woman that's laid down on a table. Is this true? I think we I think,
5: should make it a tradition here also. I think you <laughs> <laughs> you were
0: literally confusing that tradition with something you saw in Cinemax. <laughs> <Is that right? laughs>
2: but but on I On Cinemax, no, I don't, I don't yeah, I, don't, I get basic cable. I don't get Cinemax. But, <laughs> but, uh, so that, that would be odd behavior in space. So, for absolutely,
5: sure. but, and then she could walk around too in space because it would stick to her, right?
2: It would stick to it, yeah. So there is no horizontal. In fact, you can put it on all sides of her body because the food would stick but, to any sure. parts of That's her body. That's one at all. of the
0: disappointing things of eating food off a naked lady. Here is that she can't walk around. Right. <laughs> it, it is such a bummer. <laughs> These that are your, she your is persistent like
5: disappointments. I
2: understand. Yeah. And so, so a few other things. The li- moving liquids around would be a challenge. Sure. Right.
5: And how would you saute in space?
2: Sauté. Everything would just
5: float. Saute is French for you'd to jump, you know, and so you'd you're... have to
0: create a little basket. I've been working on this a space pan. <laughs> that <laughs> I'll be selling. Ready for this? Yes,
5: a spherical Eugene wok. space pan.
2: So no, all you would need is weight to put down on your saute, and it wouldn't jump. It would just sort of stay there. But you would sort of jiggle it, I guess.
5: Sure, absolutely. Like, I mean, when you cook, you know, there's constant movement, especially like Budokan. It's a Chinese restaurant. We right? okay. a lot in the walk. There's a lot of walking. Yes.
2: Yeah. Could you
0: use a walk in space or would everything
2: fly away? Everything Every time you flipped it, it would go up what into the, the ceiling. ceiling. Just, and there's no... Are so there, you know there, what you need? Here you yeah. know, A three-dimensional three spherical walk. Yeah. So every time you flick it, it'll hit the other surface and fry there That's as well. That's the
0: idea of my space pan. Oh, yeah. I- I'm taking That's... your
2: invention here. I'm sorry. <laughs>
4: okay. <laughs> Jeez.
2: And here's a creepy one. Carbonated ve- beverages. You don't want that in space because on Earth... You drink some Coke or Pepsi, whatever, and it bubbles up in your stomach. Where where do the gases go? They rise above the liquid, and then it comes up your esophagus, and then you burp. In space, the gas does not know to go, quote, above the liquid. It just emanates anywhere around the liquid, and it is not concentrated, ready for you to exhale. No champagne in space. So if you ever burped in space, the, the gas would come up with what the gas was mixed with, so all the food and liquid would come up in your burp and that's just nasty
0: that's uh, the word is vomit that's what <laughs> vomit is <laughs> you would vomit uh, yeah.
2: coca-cola so that's what
5: every restaurant wants i want to get back customers.
2: to my my interview with charles borland he's a food scientist for nasa he had visited me in my office a couple of months ago and he's designed food his whole life and i asked him what his favorite food was that he designed for the space program
3: Shrimp cocktail's probably been my favorite.
2: Favorite space food. Was this freeze-dried shrimp that you had to reconstitute? Right, freeze-dried, and then you add water when you get ready to eat it. I guess that's better than no shrimp at all, but it can't be like what you get on the fresh fish market.
3: It's really close, because uh, it turns out the shrimp freeze-dry real good, and then they rehydrate so that they look like fresh shrimp.
2: So you had to test all the seafood to find out.
3: Right. Did you have human guinea pigs,
2: or did you actually eat the food that you were preparing to test it?
3: Uh, we had a taste panel in the laboratory. That- taste panel? What's that code for? <laughs> <laughs> for eating rotten food.
2: <laughs> okay, in cocktail. So does that stay as one of your favorite foods?
3: Yeah, and also irradiated beefsteak
2: is one of my favorite foods. Irradiated beef steak. So this is you subject it to high doses of radiation, kills all the bacteria, so there's nothing to decompose the meat.
3: Right. You just open it up, and you can warm it if you want, but it's shelf-stable for several years.
2: Quantify several.
3: Uh, five to seven.
2: Five to seven. Yeah, that's, that's several. <laughs> <laughs>
3: right. Yeah, but no one's going into
2: space for seven years. So why would you have to prepare food that long? The Apollo missions were no more than 10 days. Did anyone tell you the missions weren't really lasting that long? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well,
3: in order to have something that lasts a long time, you have to have a lot longer shelf life than you expect to use it. We didn't expect to keep it for seven years and use it. But if you know food starts decaying the day it's processed, and it's a matter of time, it might be days, might be years, before it's inedible.
2: Plus, when you prepare it, then it has to be packaged, and then there's all the lead time before the launch, so right. there's all this extra time, the overhead yeah, time.
3: that's sometimes close to a year no, no, almost any space mission.
2: So you're just being extra safe. Right. Okay, now all these people who are afraid of irradiated food, I think in France they call it frankenfood. food. Right. So what do you say to them?
3: I say it's absolutely safe. We don't have any test that's proven that it's harmful.
2: So do you think they just fear the technology? It's just new to them, and they, they don't know what it's doing, and so therefore they'd rather not take the risk. Right. I call it anti-technology. Anti-technology. <laughs> so we could roll you over to France and say, here's the man who'd been eating this for 40, 50 years, and he's looking healthy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so what food would you take into space?
5: Well, first off, I don't want this guy writing my menus. The irradiated beefsteak, <laughs> he could really sell it to you. Yeah?
2: Well, the astronauts have more than 200 items they can pick from. To it's not just, They're not just handed food. They actually have some selection. I bet that's more than what's on your restaurant's menu. All
5: right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a radiated beef steak, but I bet it's still pretty good. I
2: bet it would be a novelty item that some people would buy. I would certainly order it. Really? And, yes. And, and you know, aged steak, right? Yeah. This is aged beef. Okay. Is yeah. it Kobe beef aged? No, it's can just be. massage. It's just massage beer. It's, ma- <laughs> it's just been fed yeah. beer
0: and then exposed like to news. harmful levels of radiation <laughs> so that you can eat it whatever. <laughs> For seven years, just keep it in your pocket. Just
2: keep it there, you <laughs> yeah. know. So gourmet meals is that's not an unheard of concept. In fact, uh, did you know that Charles Simone, who's one of the Microsoft billionaires, paid twenty million dollars, which is which is lunch money for jump chains, jump chains, to go onto the International Space Station for ten days, and he went through the tourist agency Space Adventures. Okay, and so this was not through NASA. This is like not a Disney ride. not NASA approved, right? And his girlfriend at the time. Help create a freeze-dried meal of quail roasted in mandarin wine, duck confit with capers, chicken parmentier, apple fondant, rice pudding, and semolina cake with dried apricots.
5: Yeah, my girlfriend does, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Eugene, guess who his girlfriend was?
0: Um, I don't know, Rachel Ray.
2: <laughs> it, was, it was Martha Stewart at the oh, time. That's... Yeah, so they were buddies. That's a good girlfriend to have when you're going yeah. into space.
0: Yes, great pillows. <laughs> And tips for crafts Did <laughs> he bring tons of popsicle sticks and things to make.
2: So another quick point is that in space, by the way, your body is designed to pump heavier up to your brain than down to your lower extremities mm-hmm. because it knows it has to go against gravity. If you don't have gravity, you have fluid buildup in your upper in your body. Do you become super body. smart? You, no, but you become bloated in your upper parts of your body and it interferes with your ability to sense taste, oh. which is why astronauts generally prefer much spicier food than normal oh. let's find out i asked charles borland again food scientist with nasa
0: the guy who does drugs and <laughs>
2: i have to find out what's going on with tang let's see what he says about that settled it once and for all did tang come from nasa no No, that's like saying Pluto isn't a planet anymore, which we've been saying for 10 years. (laughs) That's one of these fundamental truths of the universe, and now you're telling me no. And I have to believe you because you've been around from the early days. So what gives?
3: Well, I've even heard congressmen say that NASA invented Tang, but Tang was on the grocery shelf before NASA was ever formed. So Tang was selected by NASA,
2: perhaps, and that's what gave it the notoriety, I guess. Right. Okay, so it is astronaut food, but it wasn't invented for... No. And between you and me, I never really liked Tang. (laughs) And the choice between Tang and actual orange juice, I'm taking the orange juice. I'm sorry.
3: Well, the reason we do that, if you freeze dry or dehydrate orange juice in any way and then vacuum pack it, because you have to vacuum pack beverages, and then when you get ready to rehydrate, it'll be solidified and it won't rehydrate. Oh, it becomes uh, orange solids. Non-dissolvable. Non-dissolvable
2: solids. So the tang is just a powder with the sugar in it, and there you go.
3: You can do anything with tang and not hurt it. (laughs) (laughs) There you have it. You can do
0: anything with Tang. <laughs> Tang, the ultimate freedom.
2: <laughs> and not hurt it. There yeah. you go. I like that. I like that. Eugene Merman uh, piping in. I also, did you know Tang was invented by a guy named William Mitchell? When he was working at General Foods, and it wasn't popular initially, because in America we make our own orange juice, so how could it possibly be popular? But then you find out this same guy invented Cool Whip, Pop Rocks, and quick-setting Jello. This is a chemist, a brilliant food chemist. I yes. have a
5: shrine to him in my house. <laughs> a shrine to him in your
2: house, says the professional chef, because surely you use Cool Whip on all your gourmet dishes. And Pop Rocks.
5: And Pop Rocks, absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah, Pop Rocks in space. That would be interesting, Yeah, yeah. wherever that will take you. When we, when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about water, it's so fundamental an ingredient in food as well as... Oh, by the way, it's why food reheats so well in a microwave oven, because microwaves... Heat water, the water molecule by vibrating it, but they don't have the. So in space, they heat them other ways as well. But we'll get we'll get to that and find out if. Do you need to take all the water there is with you, or can you find it elsewhere on your journey? When we come back to Star Talk Radio. This is Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, and we're talking about space food today. And I have joining me comedian Eugene Merman and professional chef Brian Ray. Brian. Yes. Where, do, where are you cooking food these days? I'm going.
5: Uh, a restaurant called Budokan. It's Budokan. Chelsea Market.
2: Uh, and Chelsea Market. I'll be there. If you're in New York, check it out. Budokan. He's not there now, obviously, so somebody else is cooking for you. It's yes. right. <laughs> Sunday night. Don't go Sunday nights. He's not there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, some of the things they serve, not only food, but be- beverages matter. Yeah, we talked about the fact that you, in zero G, burping is really bad. It's equivalent to basically throwing we, up. Well, burping
0: yeah. soda is really bad, is burping regular bad I don't too? know. The
2: gas has to be in a different place from the food in order to come out of you. And the gas knows to go above solid things when you're in. But if you're G. just drinking water, will you will you throw up? I don't if think so. Yeah, I, I don't. I have to check on that. I don't know because I, all I did was the research on the dissolved gases in C, the CO two gases. That's everybody's problem. That, that would be. But one of the beverages what people like to drink is wine. I ain't going to Mars unless I can bring some bottles of wine with me. I'll Absolutely. just let you that, let you know that yes. right now.
0: A Macallan Twelve <laughs> would make Mars wonderful. <laughs>
2: And so, uh, and one of the things they do is, if you want fresh food, you can bring fresh food up there immediately, and then you can eat it. But then, if you want fresh food later, fr- fruits and vegetables, there's talk of bringing seeds to on a long Mars journey, which would last at least nine months to get there, and another couple of years before you come back. And if you're going to grow seeds, you might do it hydroponically, just in water, sure. just in a, in a, in, a, in a water solution. And so all the ways water matters to space, I brought up with Charles Borland, who is my running interview as he visited me in my office. Uh, he's the author of a book all about sort of space recipes because he invented them. They call themselves space, uh, 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 food scientists, not chefs. I find that interesting. Let's find out what he says about water in space. If they're traveling up with the water anyway, then why not reconstitute the food before you go? It's the same water. Who cares whether it's in the food or in a cabinet?
3: So We do that on International Space Station because we have to haul all the water up there, and so it's better to haul it in the food. But on shuttle, it generates a tremendous amount of water. From it's, the engine? Fuel cells. Oh, the fuel
2: cells. fuel cells. Oh, okay. So fuel cells, you've got hydrogen and oxygen coming together, giving off energy. And the byproduct is just plain old water, drinkable water, drinkable water. You know what does fuel cell water taste like?
3: Did you ever taste deionized water? I don't know if
2: I have. <laughs> I mean, uh, you got stuff in Houston that the rest of us don't have. have. <laughs> or, or, you know, I, I run on higher octane, or I don't know what. <laughs> which, <laughs> do you have four
3: spigots in your bathroom? <laughs> yeah. Or it's like sort of like distilled water too.
2: Okay, so it's a little bland, Blank, but very bland. But it's okay. I right. mean, you can quench your thirst with yeah. it. Sure. What I was worried about distilled water is they say that it's so low in minerals it can suck the minerals out of your own body cells. Is that true?
3: I sort of doubt that. You've got a lot of minerals in your body cells and there's very little water. Yeah, okay, there. so that's just an old tale, I guess. So, so, so there you have it. So, water in
2: space. Do you know that on the space station it's a it's a very efficient machine for recycling water. Mm-hmm. Water is essential to life as we know it, of course. And well, first of all, just consider what it costs. It costs anywhere between ten dollars and $15,000 a pound to launch water into space. So if that's what it costs you to get the water there, you're not going to waste a drop of it. So the filtration system in the air takes out the evaporated sweat from your body... As, Sounds
0: delicious. Go as on. As well
2: as any any moisture that you had exhaled. This is the same moisture that would fog a mirror if you yeah. breathed on it. And any other liquids that emerge from your body from any orifice. Right. They take these liquids, they process <laughs> so they... them, filter them, and then it's, processed, it's given back to you as drinking water. Basically,
0: astronauts bleed each other dry and then... <laughs> <laughs> and plus their urine,
2: everything, everything. We, we do not do that at Budokan. At, at Budokan, yeah, yeah. I, I would. You would not How get... much
0: of the food has any rehydrated urine or tea de- or, or filtered? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you say? Well, the servers offer still
5: sparkling or recycled yes. urine. Yes,
0: gas with without gas with gas.
5: They even recycle <laughs> urine.
2: any urine from laboratory animals that have been brought up. So, like,
0: they bring animals to pee and drink it. <laughs> these people are monsters.
2: Well, wait, 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 this back up for a insane. minute. This is insane. Wait, excuse me. Mr. Yes, Merman. Go on. The glass of water that's in front of you at this moment. How old do you think that water is? That's as old as the earth. That is passed through the kidneys yeah, of Abraham Lincoln. That's some fine. molecules. The idea
0: of breaking cats into space to pee for you to turn it into drinking water is way more weird than this is, you know, somewhere from a pond.
2: A pond? Where do you think it was before it was a pond? it inside was Inside a rat. It was oh somewhere inside of some creature. It evaporated into space, into the clouds yeah. and rained back down. So all water is recycled at some level. In fact, the water on the space station is the purest water you would have ever consumed even if they did extract it from the laboratory rat. Rapid, Delicious. Just saying. And you know, on Earth, you take typically 50 liters of water to take a shower. <laughs> on the space station, they'll do it in four liters. Wow. Four liters. I now, w- <laughs> what I want to know about is if you're going to go into space, where are you going to get water if you're not going to bring it all with you because it's so expensive? And Mars has frozen water on it. And so yeah. that's a place to they get it from the moms, ma- <laughs> the moms that are all there <laughs> on Mars, moms on Mars. Let's 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 go to a clip again with me and Dr. Borland to talk about a trip to Mars and what food would be like on such a long voyage. So what do you imagine a trip to Mars? The food would be like on that. It would be any better than what they're getting now in the space station and space shuttle.
3: I doubt it. When you go on a mission like that, it's always a fight between the engineers and the food people. We want to have good food and they want to have less weight. And the way to have less weight is to take dehydrated food and try and to get recycle, your water
2: elsewhere. Recycle water. We think there might be water on Mars, so you're not taking as much water as take mm. food to be rehydrated when you get to Mars. Yeah.
3: Yeah. One other option that we looked at years ago that can't convince anybody to do it is use frozen food and use that as a radiation shield of your vehicle.
2: Because once you leave the magnetic protection of Earth's field, you're susceptible to harmful rays from right. the sun, harmful yeah. particles. Oh, and it stays frozen because it's touching the dark side of the ship or something in space? What, how do you...
3: Well, you'd how, have to have refrigerators probably to keep it. And then you
2: need energy. Yeah. Listen, there's an energy problem, yeah. right?
3: You might be able to work out
2: by using the outside somehow. But. Right. Because the particles don't like moving through frozen concentrated orange juice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it's probably <laughs> a good shield. But I I don't know what you do when you come home, though.
2: Yeah, I, I know, right? You had all your good juices, and, and then you just get irradiated like the meat. Maybe it'll last longer. <laughs> So irradiated food, it kills all the bacteria. Yeah. It's the bacteria that decomposes the food. So you take out all the bacteria, wrap it, put it on the shelf. It's good for years and years and years. It sounds delicious. <laughs> I'm just
0: saying. I think when kids, as, like little kids, are like, I want to be an astronaut. I don't think they're they're really <laughs> thinking about the part where they're eating irradiated They're not thinking it through. You're, and you're drinking it's like urine. Yeah.
2: very well-distilled at, urine. At your Budokan restaurant, do, do you irradiate do any foods?
5: Uh, well, some of our products come from Asia, so by law, anything coming in from China and Vietnam has to be irradiated.
2: Is that right? I didn't yeah. know that. So, what are they afraid of? Like uh, bird
5: flu and this sort of thing. I'm not sure, but like exotic fruits like rambutan and things like that, they're all irradiated. I've never even heard of rambutan, so <laughs> that's exotic to me. It's On your like menu,
0: does it when you serve it, does it say irradiated rambutan, it does or do not. you <laughs> phrase it differently?
2: No, it does not. <laughs> And also, what might be the future of this is you genetically modify your foods to survive a long voyage to Mars. By the way, getting there by our current technology takes about nine months. To get back, you don't just get in your ship and come back because the alignment of Earth and Mars is not favorable for the trajectory. So you have to wait until Earth and Mars reconfigure themselves to make the trip back. And to do that, you got to wait like a year and a half for mm. that to happen. That's
0: really the reason I haven't gone.
2: <laughs> <It's> actually, <laughs> so a full-up round trip to Mars is like three years. And then you pre-prepare the food, and you want the food there the whole time. And so that's why you need food that can survive that trip. I can imagine a day where we genetically engineer food that will have... It's not just that will maintain its flavor, but also maintain something very important in the chef world is the food texture, isn't it? Absolutely. What well, good is if it has the right flavor, but it's, but it's Pablo, yeah. right? I mean, then it's just baby food at that level.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So
2: how much do you think about texture when you prepare foods?
5: All the time. I mean, uh, I mean, next to flavor, I think that's the most important thing. Like it's gotta be fun and like on your palate, like everything plays, you know, spice, crunchy texture, everything.
2: I know someone who never liked shrimp because it, to them, it tastes, it, they thought of biting somebody's finger. Yeah, because if you bite your finger, it's like
5: shrimp, except
2: you bite harder and then it sort of snaps. To so try it next That's time. That's a
0: person who doesn't know how delicious fingers are. <laughs>
2: That's their main problem. And uh, one big fear in genetically modified food is you get one of these scenes, I don't know if you remember the movie from, was it the early Sleeper? 70s? Sleeper. Yeah. That's right. Woody Allen wakes up in the future and they're there they are eating these genetically engineered vegetables and there's like a carrot the size of a tree log.
0: That's my and greatest the, the, fear with science.
2: <laughs> science. Incredibly
0: big fruit and vegetables <laughs> that seem unmanageable So this is in this, New York City. This is a
2: childhood nightmare. Of huge vegetables invented yeah. by scientists. And there's the, you know, the slow food movement which I yeah. guess started in 1986 <laughs> slow food. I, I always know that this stuff begins in France right because they're food they're very food yeah right? uh, food there's food snobs actually yeah, I did my exactly. saying it right <laughs> yes. yeah uh, food snobs and I, I think if you need food to last for five years the slow food movement might have something to say about that
5: yeah if it's gonna and, last five years I mean you definitely want to start with something good <laughs> right because no telling where it would go after
2: that what i wonder is
0: (laughs) i don't believe slow food is slow decomposition of food (laughs) i think it's the opposite
2: (laughs) it's food that you took a long time to prepare yes Mm. well we're coming up on a break and after the break i want to get to the bottom of what this what is this about astronaut ice cream it's something that i i never really understood more star talk when we return This is Star Talk Radio. Welcome back. (laughs) A couple of months ago, Charles Borland visited me. He's a NASA food scientist. Is
0: there a second NASA food scientist? Because this radio program is making me think there's one food scientist, and it's this guy. Yeah, well, he's he's
2: a good one, because he's been around for many generations of of spacecraft. And and we talked about the obvious most, uh, the food that every kid wants to try. Mm -hmm. And it's astronaut ice cream. Let's check it out i love me some ice cream, but I've never really bought the packet <laughs> on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. We sell it here at the American Museum of Natural History at the Hayden Planetarium Shop. But I was walked by those packs because I say <laughs> I am not. Look, I'm 20 feet from a haagen <laughs>
4: dispenser. <laughs> yeah.
2: I am so not buying astronaut ice cream. So what is astronaut ice cream? It's what a, do you do with it? I hand you ice cream, and then what do you do
3: with it? We cut it up in little small chunks put it in a freeze dryer. That increases the surface area right. of the ice cream. And then and, you freeze dry. It takes about a day and a half to do this. So freeze drying, if I remembered
2: my food science, you blow air across the food while it's frozen, and then you evaporate or sublimate the frozen water, leaving right. behind right. the flavor and everything else that is the right. ice cream. Right.
3: And an interesting story about the astronaut ice cream is that it was only used on Apollo 8, And I don't think they ate any. They denied eating it, but but it went up there. (laughs) It was too scary, I guess. (laughs) You know, what's funny is,
2: there they are. Apollo 8, for listeners who don't remember, is the first mission to leave Earth orbit and go to the moon. It didn't land on the moon, but it did a big old loop orbit figure eight around the moon. So you're telling me. They were brave enough to leave Earth for the first time a human has ever done so.
3: But were two chickens to eat the astronaut ice cream that you prepared? <laughs> well, I don't know if they were too chicken or they didn't like it. Or But, but uh, later on when we tested it with other astronauts, they didn't like it because it sticks to your teeth. <laughs>
2: Over the break, Leslie just brought in, Leslie's our researcher, some actual astronaut ice cream, and I'm an astronaut virgin here. Mm-hmm. So you, Me too. We, we each have a packet. One one is chocolate ice cream with chocolate chips. Another one is an ice cream sandwich. And another one simply says ice cream. I'll Which, try just the one that says ice, ice cream. Ice cream.
5: Okay. How about you? Chunky monkey was not an option. Ch-
2: chunky, how about to get the chocolate chips? And I'll <laughs> do the ice cream sandwich. I'm a little worried about this. Um... Ew.
0: Oh, I see. It's because I have three flavors.
2: Yeah, so you're gonna. Oh, this looks like an ice cream sandwich. It looks like what you remember you get it in the vending machine. You get that. And you it know, smells like this, ice cream. It's
0: eating sm- this, I realized why they never bothered.
2: <laughs> Mine is crunchy. Yeah. But it's got flavor. It sure. It tastes like the ice cream.
0: No one's saying scientists can't make this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but actually but I'd like the cold sensation on my mouth. So this yeah. is everything about ice cream except the cold creamy sensation. Which is kinda why like you want television. ice cream in the first place. Right,
5: it's the opposite.
2: Wow. No, but I'm no longer yeah. an ice cream virgin. Mm. The, the astronaut ice cream virgin thank well, you, Leslie. Leslie brought this in for yes, us. Yeah, Yes, it's delicious.
0: Mm. <laughs> if you're listening, don't eat this. <laughs> if you're if any kids are listening,
2: please don't bother. <laughs>
0: don't try this at home is what you're yeah. I mean try it. Cock. But be disappointed. <laughs>
2: So Leslie, you picked that up at the museum shop. I guess almost every science museum shop has got has got
0: astronaut ice cream. Ice
2: astronaut ice cream. You got it. You know the other foods that have worked out um, well in space and others that haven't. So you don't want foods that'll crumble because then they just make crumbs everywhere like crackers and and like astronaut
0: ice cream. <laughs> what did this just? Do? Yeah, yeah. All this is is dry. The, the trip,
2: chips and crunchy food just does not work in space. So I bet after a while they start craving a crunch. I wonder what that's like if you're three years without being on a crunch potato chip. And so instead of bread, which can get very crumbly, they use tortillas. Tortilla worked out very, very well. They had one of the, the one of the first Hispanic astronauts mm-hmm. requested tortillas, and they found out quite by accident that tortillas, that like the gringos found out, that tortillas work better than their bread. Not only does it not crumble, you can wrap food in it, and that the food won't spill around. The
0: ultimate space bread.
2: <laughs> and so, you know, there are other, um, there are a couple of things. They tried pizza in space, but pizza always ended up soggy and chewy and, and, mm-hmm. and micro-G, and I, but I never eat pizza if I leave New York, I'm just saying. That,
0: so you would then not do it on your way to Mars?
2: No, because I would so yeah. not. If I don't do it in Hackensack, I don't right. do it on my way to Mars. We've got one more clip of my interview, uh, and we learn about just some flyboys and what wh- what what they wanted to take into space and what they were denied. Let's mm-hmm. find out how that how that went. Let's go.
3: Sonny Carter was an astronaut, and he was also a flight surgeon, and he was also a pro soccer player. And he found this barbecue beef in Georgia, or barbecued pork, that he insisted we try. Well, he sent us a sample, and it failed all the microbiology tests. What does that mean to fail a microbiology test? It had organisms in it that
2: <laughs> were not,
3: not acceptable.
2: Wait, I thought nothing survives barbecue. You're telling me he had barbecue pork and it still had organisms running around in it? (laughs)
3: Right. So then, (laughs) anyway, he wouldn't take no for an answer. These are fly
2: boys. You know, they want what they want, yeah. They are sure as hell not going to listen to a food scientist, (laughs) right?
3: Okay. He went back, got another sample, brought it up, and we tested it, failed again. I told him, no, we can't take it. So then he gave me the name of the person down there, and I called the guy and had him cook it and then freeze it, the whole thing, because they were doing pulled pork. Pulled pork. yo oh, that and opens, that, that, that exposes the... That's where they were, they were contaminated yeah. by pulling it. And we did it, and it passed. Because
2: so. you pull it, then it's exposed to any microorganisms floating in the air. Right. Right, and right. On their hands and gloves. Yeah. And so no, did it. you alert him how many microorganisms he was eating in his pulled pork? You'd think he might say, okay, I might be the right stuff, but I don't want these organisms.
3: <laughs> well, he didn't seem to be concerned about it, but he <laughs> eaten in all of
2: his life. So, <laughs> so it would be interesting if you did send astronauts up with these sort of organismically contaminated foods and those microbes are exposed to high radiation from the sun, you might mutate them into well, something that's, interesting. That's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're out there all by yourself, with you know, it's you, the capsule, and your microorganisms, no telling what, <laughs> what comes out at the end of the day. <laughs> You and your microorganisms. There it is. There's no. It's whatever are the is the portfolio of organisms you launch with. Mm-hmm. They're with you forever. There are no others that will join your. So, your... so is the moral no pulled pork sandwiches in space? <laughs> I think so. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, and as always, I bid you to keep looking up.